Can y'all, there it is. Can we just, all right, so apparently the, the video isn't going to work, but can we, can we, can y'all do that one more time? I just want to see silent Hassan doing samurai moves. One more time. Can we, Hassan, I don't know if, I don't know who's intimidated by that, but you look intimidated that you did it. Like I'm nervous of what's to come kind of a thing, which is somewhat awesome. So yeah, bear with us. Don't really know what's going on, but I'm glad y'all are here. Y'all doing good tonight. Good. Now, if you're sitting in the back on the floor and you're like, listen, my butt is too precious for this floor. Well, that's fine. We got some chairs as well. So there are seats on this side. If you want to grab a seat, you can stay back there. You are fine exactly where you are. Really glad y'all are here in case you have no idea who, who I am. My name's Matt. If it's your first time here, I'm the guy that gets to talk to you tonight and make you hopefully not fall asleep and have a glorious beard. You're welcome. But one of the things we want to talk about before we jump into tonight's message is kind of a follow-up, a wrap-up of last week. How many of y'all came last week to the Falcons game? That was fun, right? That was, that was a blast. How many of you wish you could have done a keg stand? Totally fine. We had a root beer keg in case you're like, well, they had a keg? Yes, we did. Root beer. It was great. Uh, well, in case you're wondering so that you can judge her and look at her a little bit different, uh, Savannah, our resident who leads worship, when y'all were all in here, did one. So I may or may not have to choose to show that picture next week. But we had a blast. Is all I'm saying. I don't know. What happened? Savannah, don't act like you didn't do that and love it. College. Um, now, last week... We, uh, we continued this whole series of foundations, and the second week we go after um, this whole idea of finding the, the firm foundation for your faith. Now, if you follow Jesus, or if you want to know how to follow Jesus, you have to have a foundation in place that allows you to take that walk, to take that journey. So we started by talking about worship, and then last week we talked about serving, with the main thought being that the way you grow in maturity in your faith is by loving someone else more than yourself. It's a simple thought, but it's something that's profound in each of your lives. The way you grow up is by loving someone else more than yourself. And see, this ties in with my prayer for you. My prayer for all of you here in this room is Luke 2.52, that you would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and with men, just like Jesus did. But in order to do that, you have to love someone else more than yourself. It's got to be about giving yourself away. It's got to be about serving others, about making the most that you can to serve the least of those. And so we want to give you opportunities to do it. I talked about it last week, and I want to take a few seconds to talk about those opportunities. You would have gotten to hear Hassan and Onyx uh, give you the announcement of saying this, but now instead you have me. Boo-hoo. Well, you also missed Onyx saying, what was it? Papa Swag Daddy Hayes? Is that what you called me? I've never in my life been called that. And I went to Central Gwinnett. Like, there's, like, I, you know what I mean? But nope, not, not this guy. Thank you, Onyx. I appreciate that. Uh, one of the things I'd love to tell you about signing up for a way to do that, to love someone else more than yourself, is actually within the church. So we can do this in the church, we can do this in our community, in our city, and we can do this in the world. And the first one we're going to talk about is in the church. See, a lot of you are between 18 and we'll say 26, that's kind of the age you're at. How many of you wish you knew something now when you were 14 so that you wouldn't have done it? Can we just all, and collectively we all raise our hands because we were all stupid at 14. It just happens. And it's not that we're not stupid now, but <clears throat> here's the deal. There are things that I'm 29, I am fastly approaching 30, and it is terrifying. But we're not there yet. 
At 29, though, there are things that when I was 21, I wish I'd known. Now, one of the best ways you can serve, you can give yourself away, you can love on others more than yourself, is through serving, even within the church, the opportunities to do that with our youth, with middle school, with M12, or with high school, with age 12. How many of you serve with M12 or age 12 right now? A lot of you in the room. It is a blast every single week. And here's the deal. You get to go and pour into middle, school and high, middle schoolers and high schoolers, giving them the wisdom that you wish you had when you were their age. You can change the trajectory of the rest of their life by your presence there pouring into them. And it's not just them. It's kids as well. How many of y'all serve in stage 12 or with kids at church? Okay. She's on staff. She's paid to do that. It's fine. Um, but... Uh, listen, I, I was a children's pastor for three years. I'm not a children's pastor, but I did it three years. And out of that, God started to grow something in my heart for kids. Because the truth is, with one sentence to them, you can change their life. And the moment you walk in that room and you start serving and you're just there and they're gathered around you, you're going to put a smile on their face that maybe they never get any other time in their life. You get to go and serve and pour out and love someone else more than yourself. Maybe you're like, listen, that's great, but I hate kids. Well, that's cool. We'll work on that moving forward. There are a lot of other ways to get involved and to serve. You can serve on Sunday mornings with any of our environment teams, being a greeter, being in, uh, being in the parking team, being in the brew team, anything like that. There are many ways to serve here at the church. I just want to tell you about a few and encourage you to sign up to do that. I want this place to experience what it's like to love someone else more than, their, more than themselves. And we're going to really make this an emphasis in this next season here at C12. So as you leave today, we're going to have opportunities, if you didn't see them already, on a table right outside the doors for you to sign up with interest, for someone on our team to contact you. If you just say, you know what, I can give one night a week. You know what, I can give my Sunday morning. You know what, I can do something to pour into someone else because there's probably someone that poured into you when you were younger and how much you view them, how, much, um, how thankful you are for them. You can be the exact same person. So we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up afterwards, but it's not just in the church. We also have an opportunity coming up in the community. One, that's right. Um, one person already knows what I'm talking about. Uh, we mentioned this last week. I think this is an incredible thing that we can do here at C12, and it can be the beginning of something that we continue to do. In two Fridays, November the 6th, that night we're going to a, um, to a shelter in Smyrna right outside of Atlanta, a women's shelter for women experiencing homelessness and their children. And we get to go and have a worship service. We get to put on a worship service for them. So we get to go and love on these women that are experiencing this, serving them, loving on them, but also getting to watch their kids. There are about 20 kids that are living with these women, all of their kids um, in this place, in this facility. And so we get to go and play with the kids and love on the kids and show them who, what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus, while also them freeing up their moms to go and worship Jesus. And we're going to be putting on that entire thing. And here's what I want you to do. Go find a friend and sign up to go do it. It's in two weeks. It's a Friday night, November the 6th. You can sign up out there. And that's a great way that we can start serving in our community. But it's not just the church, not just community. One more is in the world. How many of you have ever gone on a mission trip? Nice. That's awesome. My hand is not raised because I never have. Isn't that crazy? Don't you judge me. I will throw the Bible at you. Don't, how dare you? No. But I will say this. I might have experienced a mission trip style, uh, style trip in a healthier way than maybe is oftentimes offered because I got to go and live in Costa Rica for three months. I was studying abroad, but by doing so, I was also staying in a local community, being immersed in the community, getting to know the people there, living in a house that barely had enough electricity to run their kitchen. Like, 
I know what it's like, but I also know the impact that can be made when you go and make yourself available to these people that maybe have never heard about Jesus. And so C12 is going to have our own mission trip this summer. And we're going to Hungary, which is not like Hungary, like don't listen, Chick-fil-A, stop thinking about it, the country, Hungary, which is in Eastern Europe, just above Turkey. And we're gonna be going outside of Budapest about an hour and a half to a town that's just an unreached people group. These people just don't know Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. And we're gonna be partnering with a local church in Hungary, teaching English to all the children in the village. So all the children in the village are gonna come and we're gonna get to teach them English through teaching them Bible stories. So how many of you in this room know English? Okay, you're, give this, watch. You're qualified to go on this trip. That's all you need. And this is what I, I'm going to be going on the trip. I'm inviting you to come join us. We're going to be going for two weeks in June. And it is going to be something that can radically change your life, the lives of the families, the lives of the children, the lives of the parents, and the lives of generations to come in the country of Hungary. We're going to go get to do this this summer. So if you want to sign up for that and know more about it, you can do it out there afterwards. Now, I'm done with all my pitches. I'm done with all that. Let's, that's the wrap-up of last week. Let's jump into this week. All right, around you, I want all of you now to grab a Bible. Grab a Bible. There's a Bible under your chair. If you're in the back and there's not one around you, use your phone. I don't, whatever, I don't care. You version. Touch someone that's touching the Bible and maybe we'll do it that way. <clears throat> I want you to hold the Bible. I want you to join me in this. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about what is the Bible, because maybe some of you in this place don't know. You've never had a firm foundation of understanding what the Bible is. We're going to talk about why you should read the Bible. We're going to talk about how to read the Bible. But before we get into that, what I want you to do is I want you to hold your Bible in your hands or your phone, I guess, whatever. Open up version, then hold it. How about that? <laughs> hold your Bible in your hands. Now, if we were living 2,000 years ago, this would not have been available to you you would not have had this. There might have been one in your village. You'd have gone somewhere to a temple where there would have been the manuscript, the scrolls, the scriptures, and you would have been able to listen to someone read it, but you would not have been able to do this 2,000 years ago. You wouldn't have been able to do this 600 years ago. This is a recent thing that we get to have. And back in the day, this is what they do with all the kids, because all, we're all kids, right? Like Big kid? Yeah, that's me. All the kids would go into the temple and the high priest would gather them all around. And before they would teach from the scripture, he would take honey and he would give every single kid a drop of honey and let them eat honey. Now, listen, we can go anywhere we want right now. I can go in the back in the office and find some honey and we can have it. That wasn't the case 2,000 years ago. Honey was a delicacy. It was the sweetest thing these kids had ever had. Oreos didn't exist, okay? Huh, that is sad, right? Someone just, oh, yeah, it is. It's very sad. But honey was the sweetest thing they'd ever tasted. And the high priest would gather around, the priest would gather all the children around, he'd give them a drop of honey, and they would love it. Obviously, if you're five and you taste sugar, like, yeah, you're going to love it. Or if you're 22 and you do it, you're going to love it. But, <laughs> and then he would say, what I want you to know is, these scriptures are sweeter than that honey. That might be the sweetest thing you've ever tasted. This is sweeter. This is more valuable. So as we start the conversation of understanding what the Bible is, why you should read it, and how you read it, I want you to take that in as the context of your night. This is the sweetest thing you will ever taste. It is the most valuable thing you will ever hear. 
And it is the one resource we have to fix everything that's broken within us. So, let's dive in. Because this book is something that we believe is God-breathed, is inspired, is from him. And in order to understand exactly what the Bible is, I love the vernacular used in this short little video. So y'all take a look at this. There is no book like the Bible. The story begins with the making of the universe. Everything we see and hear and smell and touch and taste and everything our satellites are just beginning to find in space. It explains what went wrong with the world, how calamity and disease and conflict, every sorrow came into our lives and how it will all end. In the Bible, we meet God, the one who made all things, planned all things, reigns over all things, and who is saving for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. History's best plot lines are found in the pages of this book. Miracles, political intrigue, natural disasters, war, brokenness and need, faith, rescue, victory, great acts of love. It's like a lost city of gold to be discovered and explored and treasured. A treasure hunt that never ends and yet rewards you at every step. The more you find, the more you are able to find. And it's all from the mouth of God himself. So let me read you one of the lines. It's like a city, it's like a lost city of gold to be discovered and explored. It's treasured. A treasure hunt that never ends and yet rewards you at every step. So if you want to know what the Bible is, it's this. You can put it on the screen. The Bible is one large story spread across multiple books, literary styles, authors, languages, and, and generations that tells of God's redeeming love through his son, Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. This entire thing is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, all the books that you had, all 30 nine books of the Old Testament that you see, every single one of them is pointing towards Jesus. From the very beginning, it's all about Jesus. Now we see Jesus enter the picture in terms of man form in the beginning of the New Testament. But even all the way back to the Old Testament, it's all about him. And whenever you understand this, it changes the way you look at it. Because Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. Jesus was not a reaction to our sin. Jesus was the plan from the start. And everything of the Old Testament, all the prophecies, all the laws, all the stories of Israel and their, and their idiocracy and all of their, all their failures, all their flaws and all the redemption that's offered to them as God's people driving forward to bring home the Messiah, to bring him to earth so that we can have him. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament points towards him. The New Testament takes everything of his stories, of the beginning of his church, of his followers, and casts it out now in the awaiting for him to return. See, John says it perfectly. John 1 tells us that the word, the Bible, is Jesus. So take a look on the screen. They're going to show you John 1, starting in verse 1. In the, there it is. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
says that the Bible is Jesus. This word is Jesus. And in the beginning was the word. It's always existed. He's always been there and it's always been with God. And we believe that it is the inspired work and word of God. It's his message, his love letter to his children about how he's working to restore what has been broken. And the thing I love about it is that every single story that you see in your world, every act of fiction, every, every, every story of fiction, every act of fact and what you see in nonfiction, every story you hear played out in our world all finds its origins in the Bible. It's all recreating and retelling the greater story of God's story throughout humanity and throughout your life. So with that in mind, how about some interesting facts about the Bible? Tell you what the Bible is. How about some facts about the Bible? It's a great video, a minute long, that can tell you some interesting facts. Take a look. Interesting facts about the Bible. The Bible is comprised of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Bible was written by over 40 different authors and was written over a period of 1,600 years. Job is considered to be the oldest in the Bible, while the book of Revelation is the youngest, written in 95 AD. The longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. The shortest is 2 John, with only 13 verses in the entire book. The Bible has been translated into roughly 2,018 different languages and is the world's best-selling book. Consequently, it is also the world's most shoplifted book. Dogs are mentioned 14 times in the Bible and lions 55 times, but cats are not mentioned at all. The Bible contains scientific information that was years ahead of its time. The book of Job describes the earth as a suspended ball, despite everyone else on earth at the time believing the earth was flat. 50 Bibles are created every minute and roughly 6 billion Bibles exist in circulation enough for every man, woman, and child to potentially have their very own copy. And zero cats. Can I get an amen? That's right. Now, I also love one of the graphics that they showed. I want to put it back up here so you understand the timeline of the Bible. This is incredible. So you have Abraham at the beginning, and then about a thousand years later, you have Moses, and then Jesus, and then iPods. So let's not get it twisted. Let's keep perspective. But this is a good timeline of the Bible. We've learned about the Bible, some interesting facts of it. We've learned what it is. It's the inspired word of God consisting of 66 books that all tell the greater story of Jesus. But now let's talk about why we should read the Bible. Now that we know what it is, and here's the deal, all of tonight should be given to you across an entire semester of a college course. I'm trying to give you the Cliff's Notes crash course credit in understanding how to do this in about 30 minutes. So is there more to this? Absolutely. But there's more, there's always more that you can go find. But I want to give you a solid, firm foundation of understanding how sweet this is, how valuable, how treasured this should be, and why you should read it. But before we talk about why you should read it, let's talk about why we don't read the Bible. I think John Piper says it incredibly. He says this, the reason we don't read the Bible is because we don't want to read the Bible. We see it as a boring portrait not the never-ending beauty beyond. We stay in bed and we miss the miracle. And if we're honest, we've all been like this before. We've all had seasons of funk where we're like, I just don't want to, sounds awful. Read the Bible, Mm-mm. ice cream and Netflix. You know what I mean? Like we all go through these seasons, these, these droughts, these, these dry spells of not wanting to get into it. 
not, not feeling like I want to read the Bible. But what I would press into all of you right now is that that is an immature way to live. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to allow my emotions to control my heart or my faith rather than my faith to control my emotions. It doesn't matter if you want to read it. Have the discipline and the resolve to read it. And you get that when you start to understand how valuable and how treasured and how sweet it actually is. This has the answers to everything you want to go through. No therapist, no counselor, no psychiatrist, no pastor, no one in the world has created something that's revolutionary to understand how to live that's not right here. You've got to understand you have the answer. And when you do that, you can allow yourself to shift from understanding, well, I don't really feel like it, into, man, but I need it. I, it's my sustenance. I need it. So in understanding why you should read the Bible, I, I can't do it better than the video I'm going to show you right now. John Piper continues the thought of this, the thought of why you should read the Bible. And if you're not inspired at the end of this, I don't, I, we'll have another conversation. It's incredible. It's about four and a half minutes long for you to understand why it is we should read the Bible. Y'all watch. stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look, and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month, for the long run, we need something stronger, more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible 
is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed, and we miss the miracle. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for his cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, his words. So will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. I don't know about you, but I want to take this and go and bury my face in it, and I'll see y'all later. Like, I can't watch that and not think about how inviting it is, about how inviting the word is. This is God's letter to you. It's his love letter to you. So this past Sunday, I had a guy come up who's actually a small group leader, older guy, might even have grandkids that age. And he said, now I know, like, you know, the Bible's a book of rules. And I was like, wait a minute, time out you've missed so much of the heart of this book. Yes, there are rules. It is not a book of rules. It's a book of life. It's a book telling you how you can find life, how you can have life and life to the full. And when I watch a video like that, I get inspired about why I'd want to read it, why I'd want to go after it. Because reading the Bible is how you get to know God. It's how you prepare yourself to enjoy him forever. I'm going to say it one more time. Reading the Bible is how you get to know God. It's how you prepare yourself to enjoy him forever. Now, I think the English language has done us a disservice with the verb to know. Because I, in the exact same sentence with the exact same word, can say, I know that two plus two is four. But I can also say, I know my son. See, the word is the exact same, even though the context of those two things is different. One is extremely intellectual. One's extremely intimate. So we need to take a note from the Spanish language. How many of y'all speak Spanish? Okay, if I butcher this, don't judge me, right? But when I lived in Costa Rica, I had to learn a little bit of Spanish. And while I learned it, I learned that there is, there's a verb that has two different words 
under the same meaning, to know. It's saber and conocer. Am I saying that right? Okay. How many of you know the difference of saber and conocer? Okay, how many of you have no idea? All right. Let me, let me learn you something for a second, okay? So saber in the Spanish language means to know. But it would, its context would be, I know two plus two equals four. Saber, I, I know that. But then conocer has a totally different meaning. I know my wife. I know her ins and outs. I know what makes her tick. I know how to push her buttons. I know what really makes her smile. I know how to unwind her. I know how to, to help her. I know her. That's conocer. And see, the difference of the intellectual knowing and the intimacy of knowing are two things that we need to understand. So when you read the Bible, this is the difference in it of understanding that. When you read the Bible, you read the Bible to intimately know God and know more of Jesus, not just to intellectually know him more. You can't approach this like it's a textbook. You have to approach it like it's this ability to get the insight of who God is and intimately know him. That's how you grow in your faith. That's how you set a firm foundation. And that's why you read this, because you have the access to know the creator of the universe. It's the sweetest thing you'll ever have. It's the most valuable thing you'll ever have. And you need to value it in that way. Now, you may be thinking, all right, this is awesome. I'd love to read the Bible now. Maybe I've never wanted to do this before, but I understand the importance of it and have a desire to do it. Where do I start? How, how, do, I, how do I do this? How do I actually read the Bible? And I would say that's a great question. If you've ever thought to yourself, how do I, I don't even know where to start. Do I just page one? You can, and you can read it in that capacity. It's going to follow a lot of a chronological order. Some of them are a little bit changing, but it's all going to tell one greater story. But more than the actual just picking it up and trying to go or playing this game, God, I want to read your word. So wherever I open, that's what, that's what you're saying to me. So, You want me to read 2 Chronicles 9. God, you're so good. I need to read about Solomon's wealth. That's what you're trying. Like, listen, that's the dumbest thing ever, okay? <laughs> Let's understand actually how to read it. Not like it's some genie in a lamp, blind luck type thing. If you're wondering where to go and you're ever questioning, I don't know where that is. Or the pastor said, I got to turn here and I don't have a Bible with the same page. I don't know what to do. Well, there's a table of contents just like every other book. Don't be too ashamed or afraid to use it. I still do. So use that and find out where you need to go. And as you start to understand how to read the Bible, here are three words I want you to understand. As you read the Bible, three words I want you to grasp. Content, literature, and language. Content, literature, and language. And again, this is an entire college course I'm trying to give you in 30 minutes, okay? So take whatever bit you can, soak on the wisdom, marinate in it, and then use it. Content, liter context, I'm sorry, literature, and language. Did I say content the whole time? Well, this is not a spectator sport. Someone yell at me, okay? Sweet mercy. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Okay. Context, literature, and language. I want to give you the understanding of what it, why context is so important. Context is so important because of this. Let's, let's look at an example of something that Jesus says to us. In Matthew 16, let's look at it without context and let's add context so you can see the difference in how you would read it. 
In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, when we read this, it's easy for us to dismiss the magnitude of it. Okay, I'm supposed to follow Jesus. I'll take up my cross and I'll follow him. I'll do what he says. Okay, I get it. But the book of Matthew was written to the Jews that at the time would have understood crucifixion. Because crucifixion happened in their face all the time. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, they would have been thinking about when they just walked home from the market and lining the side of the streets are people being nailed to wooden stakes that have opposed the Roman Empire to show them their power and impose their will upon them. Crucifixion was an enti- had an entirely different magnitude to the audience of who Matthew's actually writing for. So when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, sweet mercy, that means give up everything. That means that I may, have, I may even have to give up my life. See, there's a magnitude whenever you understand the context that changes the way you read the Bible. For instance, another one, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. A lot of the book of Ephesians in the New Testament actually talks about unity. Unity as the body of Christ. Now, why in the world in Ephesians does he choose to talk about unity in the body of Christ, but in Corinthians he chooses to talk about biblical love? Well, the reason why is because when he writes this to the church in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, Ephesians, Ephesus, what's happening in Ephesus is that the Jews and the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, are in complete discord. There's dissonance between them. And Jesus says that I've come that all may have, both Jew and Gentile, can follow me. And so the church should be comprised of both of those things, Jew and Gentile, and they're fighting. And so what's Paul's letter to them is all about unity. Find unity in Christ. Find unity as a church because it's what's culturally relevant to the people he's talking to. So you have to understand context. And when you do, it opens up the Bible to such an extent that you may have never experienced before. You've got to understand context. But after you understand context and audience, you have to understand the type of literature that you're reading. This is the second one, context and literature. So the Bible is a composition of 66 books, and they're not all the same. For instance, 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles that God just told me to turn to, right? Those are more of like a, a historical novel of fact, of truth. It's history. It tells the story of Israel and David and Solomon and the kings and the line of their kings. It's a historical work. But then you look at the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book of poetry. Now, you can't go read a book of poetry like it's non-fictional history. You can't do that. You have to understand the type of literature that you're reading. Just in the exact same way, I read this, and I'm going to say here exactly because it's perfect. That this affects the way that you understand the literature of the Bible. You wouldn't read a poetic book about sex, like Song of Solomon, in the Bible, poetic book about sex, in the same way that you'd read a textbook about sex in high school health. One of them is alluring and is passionate and is astounding and will blow your mind. And the other one is just like, ugh. Ugh. Right? Like Jimmy Fallon, ugh. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Right? I don't, I don't care for high school sex ed. No thanks. 
The poetic language and version and literature of Song of Solomon affects the way that you read it. Just in the same way that you can't read one of the letters, one of the Pauline letters of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all these letters he's writing to people. You can't read them in the same way that you can read a prophetic book like Revelation because the letter is directed to a specific people, a target audience. Revelation's a prophetic book. You can't take it literally. So understanding the literature of the book that you're reading, again, opens up a whole new facet to how you read the Bible. And it's important to have this. Otherwise, you're going to take everything out of context because context is key. And it's not just context. It's not just literature. But you also have to start to understand the language of the Bible. So let's have a fun little game. How many of you knew that Jesus did not speak English? How many of you came in here? Just let's be honest. How many of you have thought, oh yeah, Jesus spoke English? Maybe you've never even thought about it and that's where your default goes. But guess what? Jesus was not a white middle-class Republican, okay? (laughs) He wasn't. He was a Middle Eastern guy that spoke Aramaic and read Hebrew. If he looked like any of us, it's Hassan. That's the, I just want you to know that's the biggest response of the night. Like, <laughs> so attractive. But you, when you start to view Jesus in that light and you start to understand the language of the Bible, it changes the way you view it. It changes the way you read it. Understanding he spoke Aramaic and he read Hebrew. Understanding that the majority of the New Testament is written in Greek, which was the, the, essentially the national language for the Roman Empire. And so these languages have certain meanings in their words. And whenever we translate the language, sometimes you can lose meaning of words. And you can lose the understanding that was initially meant and what was written. So let's, let's have some fun with this. Let's play the, let's play the language game. There's, it's not really a game. Like, calm down, okay? It's, it's not. It's just I'm going to read something. But it's fine. I want you to understand, though, the difference of how certain language changes in certain language can affect the magnitude of what you read and how you read, even the context of how you read the Bible, the content of the Bible. So R.C. Sproul, he's a pastor, and he writes this as this example about understanding language. It says, throughout the New Testament, we encounter many titles for Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, Son of Man, Lord, and others. However, the title that is given to Jesus most often in the New Testament is one that is familiar to us but one that we do not understand very well. It is the title Christ. So let's just show of hands. How many have heard Jesus Christ? Heard that before? His middle name's not H, and doesn't start with H. It's just Jesus Christ, okay? And here's the problem. Why do I say that we don't understand this title well? I say it because Christ is used so often in conjunction with Jesus that we tend to think of it as his last name. However, Christ is not a secondary name for Jesus. He would have been known as Jesus bar Joseph, meaning Jesus, son of Joseph. Rather, Christ is Jesus's supreme title. But what does that mean? The meaning of Christ is drawn from the Old Testament. Now you're going to start to see how it all ties in together about Jesus. The meaning of Christ is drawn from the Old Testament. 
God promised the ancient Israelites that a, a Messiah would come to deliver them from sin. The idea of the Messiah is carried over into the New Testament with the title Christ. The Greek word Christos, from which we get the English word Christ, is the translation of the Hebrew term Mashiach, which is the source for the English word Messiah. Mashiach in turn is related to the Hebrew verb masak, which means to anoint. Therefore, when the New Testament speaks of Jesus Christ, it is saying Jesus the Messiah, which literally means Jesus the anointed one. In Old Testament times, people were subject to anointing when they were called to the offices of prophet, priest, and king. For example, when Saul became the first king of Israel, Samuel the prophet anointed his head with oil in a ceremonial fashion. This religious rite was performed to show that the king of Israel was chosen and endowed by God for the kingship. Likewise, the priests and prophets were anointed at God's command. In a sense, anyone in the Old Testament who was set apart and consecrated for a servant task was a Messiah. For he was the one who received an anointing, because that's the meaning of the word. But the people of Israel looked forward, Old Testament, always looking forward to Jesus. The people of Israel looked forward to that promised individual who was not merely a Messiah, but the Messiah, the one who would be supremely set apart and consecrated by God to be the prophet, priest, and king. So at the same time that Jesus was born, there was a strong sense of anticipation among the Jews who had been waiting for their Messiah for centuries. So whenever you read Christ Jesus, what you're really reading is King Jesus. And he should be viewed with that reverence, authority, power, and awe as the one who is anointed to lead God's people. See, understanding that every time you read Christ Jesus, you should be reading King Jesus is completely different from the context of how we typically understand it. You have to understand context. You have to understand the type of literature, the form of literature. You have to understand the language. And when you do this, you have a greater foundation of how to read the Bible. And maybe now you're wondering, well, what are some tools? What are some easy ways? I still don't know how to do this. Let me give you a little bit, of some tools, some tips, some tricks. How many of you have ever read a devotional before? How many of you know what a, have no idea what a devotional is? Just be honest. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A devotional is a book that gives you kind of a reading for the day. It's a daily way typically a daily way that you can read the Bible. It provides something for you. The best devotional I've ever found, if you're looking for one, is called My Utmost for His Highest. It's written by a guy named Oswald Chambers. You can sit in one page of that, one day, one page, for 30 minutes and have your world rocked every day. My Utmost for His Highest is a great auxiliary thing to use to start reading the Bible. Maybe that's not what you use and maybe you need a little bit of help getting it. If you didn't hear us earlier, on your phone, if you want the Bible with you all the time, you can open up, uh, there's an app called YouVersion. It's a free app that is the Bible in all the languages and translations. There's even a YouVersion for kids. So once y'all start having kids, you can give it to your kids. I give it to my son. He says, I want to play the Jesus game. I'm like, all right, dude, here. It's a free resource. It's the Bible in your hand all the time. If you want to go further in depth in understanding language and literature and context, there's a site called blueletterbible.org or blueletterbible.com. Blue Letter Bible is a site where every single verse of the Bible, you can click and see the Greek translation of it, commentaries on every verse, commentaries on every chapter, 
reading Hebrew, hearing the Greek in it, it's an incredible resource for going deeper in the word. I can spend hours on end just studying in it. Not all the time, but sometimes. And it's a great resource for you. And then here are the final two I'd give you. The simple ways that look incredible and speak a lot of truth. Two sites. One's called She Reads Truth. Girls, you need to be going to She Reads Truth. Okay? It's a simple way to get the Bible in your hands, and it looks beautiful. So She Reads Truth, and then you ready for this? Now there's a He Reads Truth. Ha. So take the S off, and that's right. Thank you. He Reads Truth. HeReadsTruth.com. It's a great way, guys, to find stuff that's specifically designed to, to go for you in terms of a devotional daily read. She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth. Two great ways. And if you want to start reading the Bible, but you don't want to go, well, all right, page one, or play the game, here's the easy thing to do. Read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, and it's a book of wisdom. Literally in there it says, the, be, um, the beginning of wisdom is this. If you ever want to get wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. You want wisdom? Go get it. And you find that in Proverbs 31. So at the start of next month, it's November. It's kind of wrong because 30 days half November, half November. Read a chapter a day. Find a month and just start Proverbs chapter one. Read a chapter a day and you'll get through the entire book of Proverbs in a month. It would also desire, it would also create inside of you the discipline to go after it. So if you need tips and tricks, there's some. But ultimately, it's about you continuing to understand this intimate knowledge, this relationship that God desires to have with you. So my prayer for you is that through tonight, through this talk, you would understand that this is sweeter than honey. This is more valuable than any wealth you're ever going to have. This is the most treasured possession you're ever going to attain. Because it has all the answers that you need. And it's a story of God's love for you individually. He loves you. He is, he is enamored by you. And you are significant and you are secure and you are beautiful and you are strong and you have what it takes, not because of what anyone else can tell you, but because of what God tells you in this word through Jesus, because this is all Jesus. So my prayer for you is that you pick it up. If you've never read the Bible before, take one of these home and start reading it. Start to get a thirst for it. Start to get in it. Soak in his word and the wisdom of Proverbs. Just marinate in the fact that you get to listen to God's word. You get to read it. You get to have conversation with him through this. So what we want to do is give you just a chance to respond. We like to do this every week. A chance to respond in worship. And worship because he gave us this. Like that's worthy enough of our praise. But maybe God stirred something in you tonight. And what we really want to give you is an opportunity to just respond in freedom. Freedom to, to respond in obedience however the Holy Spirit would prompt. And maybe you come in tonight and you're like, you know what? I need help in this. Great. Admit it. Be honest with yourself and say you need help. Or maybe you have some other kind of prayer request. There's just things heavy in your heart. During this next song, in the next few moments, our prayer team's going to be around the back in the blue shirts. They're willing. They're there to pray with you. So go find them. But respond in obedience however the Holy Spirit would prompt. We're going to have one song, and then you're free to go whenever you need to. My encouragement is that you would go and check out that table. Sign up. Start loving on someone else and others more than yourself.